HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Ashley Rouse, founder of Trade Street Jam Co., the chef-y small batch jams made without pectin, thickeners, or any extra sugar. After a career as a chef for 18 years, Ashley started building Trade Street in 2008 while living in an apartment on Trade Street in North Carolina. The incredible jams and sauces are now available on their website, as well as on Snack Magic, Amazon, Target.com, CrateandBarrel.com, and in hundreds of shops across the country. Welcome, Ashley. I'm so glad you're here. Hey there. Thank you for having me. Yay. Um, so I fell in love with the sour cherry ginger, I believe it was. Uh, we had a bunch of the jams when we um, when we had like a little retail shop in front of the cooking school. I don't know if you remember selling to us or not, but it's um, you've just been in my brain, I guess, for a long time. So I'm really happy you're here. And I want to hear more about the origin story. I think it's such a cute name and I get that you were living on trade street, but you also have like, you know, many, many years of professional cooking experience and working in the food industry. So I just kind of want to hear why jam and why start trade street. Yeah. So that's, that's all correct. I've been um, a chef for over 18 years now. Um, Mm -hmm. Only ever worked in the food service industry and restaurants and hotels and things like that. Um, Back in, I guess, 2008 um, was just like, I had a food blog. It was called I Speak Kitchenese. And I was, it was Mm -hmm. like my food outlet. Um, I was miserable working in the kitchen, by the way, side note. And so this Mm -hmm. was like a really fun, like outlet for me. 
Um, and I was canning a lot. I really, I was really into canning all kinds of fruits and veggies and everything. I'd love going to the farmer's market and doing that stuff on the side. Um, and I'm also a condiments girl. Like I love mm-hmm. sauces and spreads of all kinds. Yeah. Um, so, you know, jam just kind of stuck with me. And there's a big difference. I mean, I tried making jam once and I was terrified I was going to blow up the cooking school. Like I remember being like, there could be an explosion and I could be responsible. But I mean, obviously you were not worried about that, but there is a big difference between like doing it for fun and doing it as a hobby and then deciding to like actually start selling the stuff. So how did it turn into like a business? You know, I think, um, I, so I was doing it, um, in North Carolina, uh, you know, a lot of life happened. My husband and I, who was my then boyfriend, we moved to Connecticut and then to Brooklyn. Um, and we were commuting like to the city and, you know, working in Manhattan and I had not jammed in so, so long. And I think, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I needed like something to do, you know, I wasn't like, I'm still not like a big, like Netflix binger or like TV show mm-hmm. watcher. So like, for me, when I got home, I just like needed something to keep busy. And, um, I would pass this like really cute, you know, uh, like farmer grocer on the way home and they always had like really cool produce. So I was like, Oh, I'll just like start jamming again, you know, just for mm-hmm. something to do. And then I was like, why not start an Etsy store and just see if mm. I can like, you know, sell some of the stuff. Um, and it started off that way, like selling through really it started on selling through Facebook, but then an Etsy um, store was created out of that. And I was really selling to like friends and family and, you know, people I went to high school with mm-hmm. and it literally just evolved from there. Like, I, you know, I never had big plans for it in the beginning. It just kind of like little by little grew, um, the passion grew. And then we kind of like took the little baby steps and, and kept moving forward with it. Yeah. And I mean, I think for my listeners, like it's those baby steps that they, you know, because this is how so many businesses start. You know, I I mean, I have people who, you know, sold their companies for hundreds of millions of dollars that literally started in their kitchen and, you know, or they took their grandmother's recipe or they started at a farmer's market. So this is the, this is the story. And this is, I think, what's so great about our industry that, you know, even though maybe the last several years have been focused on sort of venture backed and, you know, big tech and, you know, all of this stuff. Like the reality is, is that most food businesses in this country start almost as like a hobby in a lot of ways. Totally. And And I love that you just said a hundred, hundreds of millions, by the way, because I've been (laughs) saying for seven years that I want to sell my company for a hundred million dollars. And it's, you know, it's, it's always been kind of the goal. And it's funny. Some people are like, yeah, absolutely. And then some people are like, what, how, you know, and, um, to your point, it all starts super small. That's how like all these things go. But anybody who follows any CPG brands will see Mm -hmm. that like, it's a reality. Like it's a, it's a thing that can happen. It's a possibility. And, um, it all starts kind of, like you said, where I started. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess, you know, what, when did that click in your mind? Like, you're selling on Etsy, you know, people are picking up what you're putting down. This is still sort of pre all of like the, the big sort of e-com D to C stuff. Um, you know, what was happening kind of in between like 
that 2000 and, you know, what, 10, 12 time and the next couple of years? Like, when did it, I guess it go from like, oh, this is a hobby and I'm selling on Etsy to like, wait a second, I think I could actually make this into a big business. Well, I think um, just being in Brooklyn, like I was always super inspired by just Mm. the culture, art, music, food, everything, right? And they Mm -hmm. always had these like big maker, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they have a huge maker culture. And so you would Mm -hmm. walk by just a regular street and there'd be this huge warehouse. And then there's like hundreds of makers just selling this, these really awesome goods. And I had like never seen that before. And I just remember being like, I... I loved the experience of being in there. And I was like, I want to sell in here. I think that would be so cool. And I just remember being like, but yeah, right. Like, how could I qualify to sell in here? And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's funny because, you know, within a couple months, my husband and I were selling in there every weekend. And that was my reality for the next, gosh, three or four years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, it literally went from selling on Etsy. Okay, this is kind of moving. And making it in my apartment to like, mm-hmm. let's get in these mar- maker markets and then doing mm-hmm. that and then being like, okay, I can no longer keep up with how much I'm selling, which wasn't a ton, but like, I can't keep up by making it in my apartment. So mm-hmm. let's get a shared kitchen. You know, my husband was like, you got to rent a shared kitchen. I'm like, yeah, right. How can we afford that? And then within mm-hmm. like a few months, we were in a shared kitchen mm-hmm. um, and we did, we did that for just a, under a year maybe. And it was misery. Um, but you know, it was miserable. Yeah. There's nothing else to it. It was miserable. Um, right. <laughs> and, and then he's like, you know, you got to get somebody to make this for you. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. right. How can we afford that? And then within a few months, you know, we were in a manufacturer, but, um, <clears throat> it kind of just grew, you know, like I said, it was all just like, okay, I guess we should take the next step. There was never mm-hmm. like early on a point where it was like, here are the steps laid out of how I think we should grow. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, the, the hundred million goal came, came later, I think when, um, when we were doing these like markets, like if, you know, if you're a New Yorker, like artisan fleas and like, um, Brooklyn flea and stuff like that, we're doing these markets and like, it was just really popping off, you know, like whole Mm -hmm. foods buyers had come by and say like, they loved us and like, you know, let's try to get in stores. Now that's another story. Took us another couple years before we even got in one whole foods, but you Mm -hmm. know, they were interested and we got a ton of press. Um, And we were on a Vice documentary just from, you know, like we were really Mm -hmm. out there and people loved the product. They loved me. They loved the Mm -hmm. look of the the branding. And, you know, I've always been like really confident just because I'm like, I'm me and I'm unique and I'm the shit. Sorry. I hope I can say that. Um, You can totally say that. Okay, great. (laughs) I've always thought I was like the shit, which is like my vibe. You know what I mean? That's my vibe. Like, and so like, they were just affirming what I always, I mean, like what I thought, you know, like I'm a chef, I know how to cook. So like, I know Mm -hmm. the product's good, but they were like, you know, the branding's really awesome. And then also being in Brooklyn, right. There's no better place to be for like trendy, hipster, cool food brands. And I felt at home, like I would see Mm -hmm. these awesome packaging and I'd be like, boom, my packaging needs to be up a level. And then I would do the marketing Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, boom, my table needs to be like this. Like, and it, I mm-hmm. felt really at home in that space. And when I saw those other brands, I just was like, you know, this this should be on the, this should be a big brand on a shelf somewhere, you know, this this could be big. And, and that's kind of when I got that goal. I also think 
the over time, the number came, you know, I don't know where that number came from, but I, I heard not that long ago that Cholula sold for like 800 million to like, I don't know, mm-hmm. Hormel or something. McCormick. McCormick. Thank you. And I yep. was like, 800, baby. I just want a 100, <laughs> just a little, just a little piece. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, yeah. that's my number. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, you know, from my understanding in our, in our world, you know, to, to, to sell for that, you need to have pretty much like a pretty consistent, you know, 30 maybe million dollar sales and profitable. So that's, you know, that's the target, I guess. Um, and, you know, I mean, speaking of, did you, did you, did you start looking at like the size of the jam industry? There are these like major incumbents. It is kind of sleepy, I think, is your point of differentiation from what I've read about you. Like, you know, they're not, you know, Smuckers isn't doing, you know, anything with, you know, smoky peach or, you know, uh, like all of your different sort of really chef driven flavors. And there are sort of these legacy, you know, people do collect their bon maman and things like that, but they're, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of new innovation, especially like in the chef driven and with the, you know, lack of, you know, fillers and definitely less sugar is a huge trend. Like, did you start matching what you were doing with sort of the larger market research and, and really started kind of thinking about like, when did that all start happening in your head? Because I think, you know, I'll just speak for one more second before I let you finish. A lot of us who came and made products because either in my case, my students wanted us to just package the things that we were teaching them how to make, or in your case, because you were making really yummy things that were just like art and inspiration for you we didn't come to this like saying like, Oh, there's this big category and it's very sleepy and we can disrupt it. And da, 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 da. like we came to it from like a very organic place. And sometimes that doesn't always align with like a larger market picture. So we kind of have to then start doing a little bit of the homework. And I'm just wondering like what that process was like for you. Like when did you start really like looking at the jellies and jams? And I guess my follow-up question to that is like, is that why then you also started adding the hot sauces because of the size of that prize? So, no, um, <laughs> I didn't look at it until years in um, because, again, I never started it thinking right. that we had that type of longevity. Um, mm-hmm. But honestly, I think I I got lucky and I think you know, everything I came up with was what you said. It was very organic and it just happened to align. Um, now side note, like we, we, my husband always talk about this, but we always say this is God's business. Like, because we really truly feel that like, this is my passion and he's put us on this journey and, Mm -hmm. and things have aligned so well for us that I know it's not me, you know, like I'm Mm -hmm. a little business savvy, Mm -hmm. but my God, not like that, you know, and things have just, you're just in the flow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just in yeah. the flow. And that's why we say yeah. that. Like, you're like, this is his business. He's kind of running it. I'm just like, you know, I'm a control panel here. But like, no, it was all organic. Like, I literally, I told you, I love jams from the beginning. I'm a chef. So I'm like, why would I ever make 
strawberry jam or like grape jam. Like, why would I do that? Mm. Like, you know, it has mm-hmm. to be a little weird. Like I would tell people the flavors are my husband. And if he would make a little face, like what? Then I'm like, that's the one then. Like it has mm. to be something that doesn't really, that you don't quite see that almost doesn't really make sense to you. But then like the more of a foodie you are, the more you get it or the more you're intrigued mm-hmm. by it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I obviously was like, don't want to put a ton of sugar in this because like, why? And, mm-hmm. you know, Americans are already dealing with obesity and African-Americans mm-hmm. in spe- like they're specifically dealing with diabetes and, and obesity. Like the numbers are off the charts. So like mm-hmm. for myself, for my culture, like, why would I do that? So, I, mm-hmm. you know, didn't even like I think I was like, oh, yeah, low sugar is already like a good thing. Like, I'm just going to do this. I don't think I had numbers on like what you know, brands were innovating or how they were doing, um, you mm-hmm. know, like the new trends and stuff. I, it wasn't really like that. Um, and then right. the pectin, the no pectin, no additives. I think that came from a lack of resources. Like, mm. I think when I started, I was like, I'm not buying pectin. Like I've made jam mm-hmm. a million times. Why, why do I need this? What is this? You know, like when right. I started off, like, what is this? Why am I putting this in there? Why are there these additives? Why do I need thickening agents? Like, let's just make something natural and like, it might look different, but it's dope, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that's like, that's where it started. And then later as I started, you know, building, I don't know, pitch decks and like Mm. just branding guidelines and like, you know, um, assets for the brand and like really digging deep, it was like, okay, I need to know more about the industry I'm in. If I'm like really sending these documents out to like a retailer, like, can we get in your store? Like, I got to have more, um, you know, more information here to build off of. So, yeah, that's why I started doing research. And obviously, I was like, well, this aligns. Like, the category is super sleepy. Um, It's dominated by, like, a couple of major players um, who are so old and not really innovating. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I was like, great. I fit right in, you know. And also, Mm -hmm. on, like, a health kit, great. I fit into that space. Um, And, you know, innovation and branding has always been important to me, too. So, all that stuff came later. And then as far as the hot sauce, like it literally came from me being obsessed with condiments. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just woke up one day and I was like, we should make a fruit based hot sauce. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's, I think it started with fruit based condiments. I was like, we should just, we should do fruit based condiments. So like mm-hmm. a fruit based mustard would be really dope. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like stuff like that. Um, and I was like, let's start with the hot sauce. Like hot sauce is super trendy, but it's also really bomb. Um, mm, and I yeah. do love, yeah, I do love Cholula and I love, um, you know, all that, all that. So I was like, let's just make a hot sauce. But it wasn't even like, let's see where the hot sauce category is at. Right. Now I will say that like people who do that and who start the business, like let's look at a category, see where I can fit in, like more power to you. That is probably the right way to go about it. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if this way is the wrong way, like following your heart or like something you feel, you know, I don't think that's wrong. I mean, I think to, to your point, you know, I mean, I, I often joke like we, there's kind of, you know, I think a a thing in our business, like you don't have to do like six things better than your competition. You just kind of need to do one thing better and we just didn't know that rule. So we tried just doing everything. And and by the way, we don't even have, there is no category for what we sell. So it's just a bizarre place to live anyway. But I, I do think that the, you know, I mean, I've done almost 200 of these interviews and I would say that 
it's a combination, right? It starts off, it's got to start off with passion and you've got to love your product and you've got to love what you're making because it is such a freaking slog that if you don't, you're just going to be miserable, right? So there, you're, we're all committing, you know, a decade of our lives probably, if not more, um, to, to this, to these businesses that, you know, are exhausting and, and, and pretty rewarding at times, but a lot of the time really hard. So we have to have a love for our product and we have to know that our product is better than what's out there because there is just so much stuff and people have so many things to choose from. So what we need to be putting out has to be like, we have to know that it's like as good as possible. But then the next step I think is like, is there a market for it? You know, I mean, I interviewed um, someone years ago and and they were like winning in their category, but their category was like a $30 million category. You know, how big can that business be? And is it worth all of this stuff for that? And I think it's an evolution, but to your point, you know, there are people who look at it like, where's the white space? I'm going to fill it. Um, I don't think they're ending up feeling uh, uh, very fulfilled. You know, I, I don't know that that's, I don't know. Um, I haven't asked them, but yeah, I <laughs> that don't would know. Be my I, hunch. Mean, <laughs> I can't comment, you know, I'm not that person. I can't comment on it. I will say that like, from what I've seen, the misery will come like at some point the misery will come. So mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're passionate or not, you're smart or not, you do the research or not, like you have some resources, you build up what you think is going to be great and there'll be highs and then there'll be fucking lows where you're miserable and you're like, why am I doing this? And that's all I know to be consistent. Yep. That's That's all I know to be true. Well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about not being miserable and, you know, maybe how to help people avoid some of the misery. Although we both know that's a tough (laughs) one, (laughs) but we'll be right back. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of heritage radio network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberto's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Ashley Rouse, founder of Trade Street Jam. 
Um, okay. So one of the things that I noticed was, you know, when we were talking at first and we were talking about the introduction, you have been focused on e-commerce, not only your own site, but being on Amazon, you know, being on these different sort of e-com platforms. Is there a reason why you focused on that instead of trying, let's say, to get into, you know, thousands of stores or have you not made that decision or are you just sort of starting to think about retail? Like what's the, what is the plan, I guess, a little bit in terms of distribution and how have you thought about it? Cause I'm sure you've thought about it. So that's, that's initially where we started, right? Of course we were like, Oh, we want to be on the shelf of as many stores as possible Mm-hmm. Um, but as we grew and I learned more about the business in general, you know, there were so many factors, right? Like one, our product is premium. So it's pricey, right? It costs a lot to make. Um, mm-hmm. and it costs a lot to, to, for a, a distributor to purchase it, but mm-hmm. distributors aren't buying them at a high price. Right. So now our margins, which are great on our, on D to C are now trash because distributors are stepping all over them. So I learned right. that very early on and I hated that. Um, I also learned early on that our product doesn't belong on every shelf. You know, we definitely Mm -hmm. got approached by Kroger and Sam's Club and Costco, right? But it's a different product. It's a different brand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, what is the good of us being merchandised on a shelf next to $3 smuggers, right? Like it, Mm -hmm. it won't get the the shine it deserves or or that it requires to, to maintain that shelf space. So it, it very quickly became something that was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do yeah. this. So how else yeah. can we do this? And around the same time, um, you know, COVID hit. And I mean, we were in business before COVID, but those early yeah. years, they almost don't even count. Those are the years where you're just like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, but COVID hit and our business just grew by like 300%. It was wild and um, such a crazy time. And it really like there became data that would solidify the idea of selling food online was Mm -hmm. a big deal. And I feel like before that it was, people were just like, who's going to buy that online? You know, like who's buying food online, even though I had been doing it. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, but I lived in New York, I'm ordering fresh direct for like eight years, Mm -hmm. you know, before this even happens, but, um, it kind of opened everyone else's eyes who weren't in big metropolitan cities, like, and had been doing it. They were like, Oh yeah, let me get this like gourmet food online. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that kind of like, that kind of put us in a really good space where we were like, Oh, this, like it it solidified what I already knew in my head, but it was like, Oh, this can be a real thing because of, of what's happening. So, that's when we just decided like, Hey, let's just try to be like ubiquitous throughout online. Like let's Mm -hmm. focus on that. And then retail can be like a, like a later pillar in the business, right? Like, you know, let's say we have a three pillar approach and it's like, first we're going to do like markets and kind of um, Mm -hmm. penetrate the, the system that way. And then like the second pillar is going to be, we're going to just do online and we're going to get everywhere, target.com, Amazon, every e-tailer we can get. And then, the third pillar may very well be retail if we decide that that's what we need to do in order to get right. the revenue we need. Um, but that's kind of why we decided to go this route. And I mean, we've been yeah. able to 
keep our margins. You know, we've been able to get and still get into hundreds of retailers. Yeah. Um, and we've just been able to see success that way. So we're doing what works for us. And and we've also been able to like build community, like build what we call our jamily, like <laughs> really just build up this cult following. And, you know, when we talk about selling for a hundred million, right, there's brands, yes, who have at least 30 million in revenue consistently. And that's how they're selling for hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of dollars. There's also brands who are getting acquired because of their following, right? Because mm-hmm. of their customer base, their customer list, because these big brands know that like what they have is older, it's staler, it's a different demographic, right. it's a different age, but they are acquiring these smaller brands for their customer list and yep. their following. And so that's what we are focusing on, right? Like we're building this cult right. following of people who are like, I didn't even know I like jam. But like, I can't make a cocktail without this jam. Like, I don't right. even, what are these syrups? And I want jam in my cocktail. Like, I want jam in my food. And it's it's bigger than just like jam on toast. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes total sense. And I'm thinking back, like, you know, they, they had a, they had a problem, but <laughs> I'm thinking back, I interviewed one of the founders of The Laundress a few years ago. And recently they just had like a major recall and you know, it's the whole thing is sad, but these two women sold the company to Unilever, you know, years ago. So, you know, it was Unilever's issue with the recall, not theirs, but in the interview, so they made a really, I don't know if you know the brand, but they made a really high end, like alternative to the dry cleaner laundry, you know, cashmere sweater cleaner, you know, really nice for really nice fabrics. And you know, I'm trying to remember the name of the woman. I think it was Gwen who I interviewed. And she said, we knew that we never were going to compete with Tide. Like we, if you put us on the shelf next to Tide, there was no one who was going to buy us. We were literally 10 times the price, super concentrated, really high quality. And she's like, so what we did was we put ourselves in boutiques and we put ourselves like you know, in high-end pharmacies, right? Places where Tide wasn't sold, but where a company like Unilever would look around and be like, I already own 90% of the grocery store shelf for laundry detergents. I'm never going to have a product that's going to be in J. Crew or, you know, in a high-end pharmacy. So it made them more attractive as an acquisition when they did get bought by Unilever because they weren't in the grocery store next to the tide. And I always I think mean, about that's a hundred percent it. Like that is 100% yeah. it, right? Like there's yeah. a space for fancy shit and then there's a mm-hmm. space for like the regular stuff and, and there's yeah, room and for I, both yeah. and they don't have yeah. to compete necessarily. They can both right. and, yeah. coexist. Yeah. And I think what you're saying also that's so helpful to people Mm. is like everyone thinks, okay, I'm starting this thing. The first thing I need to do is get into my local blah, blah. Then I need to get a Whole Foods region. Then I need to go to Sprouts. Then I need to go to Target. Then I need to go to Costco. Then I need to go to Walmart. Then I need to exit. And it doesn't have to be that. It can be, I mean, I've had so many founders on, you know, I had the founder of Brightland Olive Oil on and she was talking about, you know, there's a massive gift channel, you know, where people are willing to spend more because they, these are objects and things that 
things that, you know, are going on top of people's counters that they love. It doesn't necessarily have to be lost in the olive oil section of the grocery store. Right. And, you know, I think it's helpful because there isn't one roadmap. And now that I think so much of the industry has changed, you know, just in the last six months, like funding is no longer really that accessible the you know need to sort of double your business every year and grow at all costs is is no longer the paradigm so it's really kind of this back to basics grow in the right way for your product for the founders that makes sense knowing what the size of the prize is and mapping out along the way how you can get there and i mean it it's great cuz it's exactly what you're doing, you know? And I think you're also really right. You know, I think this whole, you know, we have this many followers on Instagram. I think for a minute, people thought that was real community. That's not, I think everyone knows that now, but what you're building is a real community of people who come to you and love you and you, and you can speak to them directly. And, and that, that's, that's worth a lot to a lot of these bigger brands for sure. Yeah. I mean, all of that was very well said and it's also true. And I, I just, I think that like you have to just do what feels good and what makes sense, you know, and, and the rest is, is going to come now. It doesn't mean the rest is going to come. You're going to get rich, but like, right. There's, you just have to do what makes sense. Like the world is going to happen. Nobody knew COVID is going to happen. Nobody knew we weren't going to be able to get funding in the beginning of 2023. Otherwise I would have raised way more in my seed round, but like, you know, you kind of just have to like roll with the tides on this. And, um, I think if your heart's in the right place, like that's, that's all you can do. Right. Is, and, and being different is never going to be a bad thing. Like I think, Mm. my God, like when Jeff Bezos started off, he told his wife about Amazon and she was like laughing at him, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like she literally, I mean, literally she thought it was ridiculous. And I mean, my God, does he live? He lives on space, right? Doesn't he live in space somewhere? So like, <laughs> I think he, I, I think he might wish he lives on space, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's close. Him and my Elon, God. they might, they might live next oh, to each other in space. They are absurd. <laughs> they should go live there together. Absurd. I don't want so, anyone to be like just crazy. But, but my point yeah. is, is like, they just kind of was, they were like, you know, when they were like, oh, I'm going to make a car and it's going to run off of this. Like people are like, that's never going to work. Like those right. are the people that end up being more successful. And I, I think for us, that's kind of the route I'm on, which is just a side note, not comparing myself to Jeff or Elon. What I'm saying is. Listen, you is, can compare yourself to Elon. <laughs> I'm, I'm more like Kanye West or something like that. Um, but, okay. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is like, I think when you don't follow the traditional path is when you can yeah. start to see success, right? Like you don't want to be traditional those that's already been done. So when you do something that people are questioning and maybe don't even believe in, like, but Mm -hmm. you believe in it and you've looked at the numbers and you know, this can work. Like that's where you focus your time and and your energy. So I want to go back to something you were saying, because, you know, a, you mentioned your seed round B when I asked you about topics that you've been thinking a lot about, you definitely mentioned fundraising. 
So, you know, I think it, it is worthy of just stating this statistic that Black female founders, basically, I think it was 0.34% of total venture capital money. Um, that is just a fucking joke and abysmal, period. Um, so that needs to be said. And I guess my question for you is, you know, are you thinking about the traditional sort of venture capital world, or is that just now you're just really focused on friends and family and maybe some individual investors and, you know, what has that experience been like for you? What has surprised Um, you along the way? Well, that statistic is literally dismal and like, it feels so true. It feels yeah. true. Like in my heart, that feels like the statistic because yeah. it has been such a hard journey. I don't know the answer to you about, you know, if we're going to go the venture, like we did a seed round, right? We rose yeah. money in the end, um, at the end of 21. Um, and we didn't need the money then. Um, mm-hmm. We had like bootstrapped, you know, our revenue was like 600K. Like we were like, we're, we've like tripled year over year. Like we're doing great, you know, mm-hmm. and raising money wasn't even a thought. And some, you know, a, um, an angel found us, like heard me talking on some Instagram live with another business and was just super impressed with the brand. And I guess me as a founder and reached out and we talked for a year and then we raised money. And then he gave us money and also um, a couple other people like through, you know, my network or whatever ended up being a part of that round too. And it was a small round and we were just like in such a good position that we were like, this Mm -hmm. money is going to catapult us into, you know, a couple million dollars of revenue. And then we'll look into raising again. Um, and then life happens Yep. and you know, the economy fails and supply chain crashes and, Mm -hmm. You know, glass jars and fruit and trucks oh, and don't people even aren't talk buying to me online. And, yeah, yeah. Don't even talk to me about glass jars. I, I swear <laughs> to God, I tell everyone this. We bought glass jars from China and we bought $8,000 worth of jars. I mean, my God, not much. $8,000 worth of jars. We paid 20000 for freight. Yeah. And it crushes my heart when I say it out loud. Sometimes I have to look up the numbers because I'm like, that can't be right what I said. That is 100% mm-hmm. right. I would yeah. never do that, but we had no choice. There yeah. were no jars anywhere. Mm-hmm. We, I paid people to do searches for me. There were no yeah. jars. I paid 20 grand in freight to get eight grand worth of jars. Like it, it was yeah. the worst. So it's been a, it's been tough, right? Like it's, uh, I'm sure you've been through so many things like that. It's been very, very tough. And I think now we're at a point where we do need funding and, you know, full transparency in the past two months, we've applied for maybe, I don't know, 20 loans, Mm -hmm. 30 loans, been denied for all of them. Right. Well, no, that's not true. One, one said they could give us like, you know, like $5,000. And I was like, that, that's what you think I need. (laughs) $5,000. Like, I mean, my, what am I, what what am I going to do with five grand? Like, seriously, do you pay for uh, a quarter of your freight? (laughs) I mean, exactly. Pay for a quarter of freight, like pay for, (laughs) pay for like one month of a a marketing, like advertising fee or something like, you know, I I mean, literally just absurd. Um, so I didn't, of course I didn't take it. I'm like, I don't, I'm not paying you money back 
to give me the right. least amount of money. So it's just been really tough. And I've really had to make some really tough personal financial decisions that I haven't had to make even in the beginning when I quit my job and didn't know if this would even work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's been really disheartening and it, it has been a tough start to the year for me. I have been in emotional places I've never been before. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's just been hard. It's really been hard. And I think the frustrating part is like, there's so much money out there and I can't get any of it. You know, like I'm trying to, you know, re-raise again, I guess with my current investors, but it's a tough, Mm -hmm. um, client, um, climate for them as well. Right. And then, I mean, tapping into my network and, and beyond, like nobody's funding right now, the funds are suffering. Angels don't have any money left. And, and then, and then I'm getting denied for loans. And so, yeah. I, you know, I don't have any more personal money to give to the business. And so we're actually in such a tough place and I don't know where to go from here. And I think that's the frustration because, you know, you hear me in the beginning talking about this hundred million dollar business mm-hmm. that we have the potential to be, but yeah. if we never, if we don't get funded, we have the potential to be nothing, you know? Yeah. And that's really that's disheartening when you hear beauty brands just got 10 million in funding, you know, and it's like, that's Mm -hmm. great, you know, or or of course tech or anything like that. Um, But, or, or brands that aren't uh, black or women, you know, it Mm -hmm. just seems like they're getting all the funding. And so I think that's the, the hardest part of all this. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think the numbers on women, it's like 2.1%. It might've dipped below 2% of all venture capital, you know, and it's interesting, right? Because, you know, small businesses, I think, you know, it's, it's around 20% are, you know, what identify as minority owned businesses and higher than that are women owned businesses. But there's just this disconnect between the funding world, institutional funding world, um, the networks around that funding and who gets that capital. It just is, the numbers don't lie. It, and, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of lip service around, um, you know, diversifying and making sure that, you know, minority and women owned companies are getting the funding that they need. And the, there's, I think someone said it really well. There's like, an abundance of mentoring, but a, like a dearth of actual cash. Like we don't need any more mentoring, you know? My God, <laughs> like, that's so funny that you say that. I literally told my CFO <laughs> yesterday, I was like, I'm about to have to sign up for some cohort, some shit where mm-hmm. I have to go for like eight weeks, fly somewhere. I, mm-hmm. I have two fucking children, like right. under two years old. Like mm-hmm. I, I, look, look, I know how this is going right. to sound, but I'm just going to say this. I'm a grown ass woman. Like mm-hmm. I don't need to go and do some court. Now I'm not saying I don't need the help. What I'm saying right. is I don't need to go to some cohort like for eight weeks in another city. Like I am a grown woman with a husband and two children and a home that I just bought. Like I right. need funding. And then also you right. can mentor me. Like you can also right. give me the funding and then be like, I am here for calls and for my network and for all that. But like, I don't need to go sit and do these classes and these courses and these, and these different programs without funding attached. And it's, and it sucks that I even have to do that to get the funding. And the, and the, yeah. you know, those, the, it's not always in the wrong, um, their heart is in the right place, right? Like I don't want to yeah. give you money. I want you to succeed past the money. Right. 
you yes. know, so I get it. But like, it's yeah. just funny to hear you say that because I, I literally told yeah, her yesterday. Yeah, and it's not my quote. Like, like it's, I read it and I was like, that's a good one. Oh, you know who it was? It was Bella Hughes um, who started um, Shaka T. Um, I think I, I think that was who said it. So, so, I mean, what, you know, the other alternative, I, I mean, it, it sounds very simple is like, can, can, can you get it? So you, it's just profitable and it's paying for itself. I mean, what do you need? What do you need the capital for? I guess, is it, is it to support these e-com channels? Because, you know, target.com wants you to buy, yada, 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 or, you know, well, I mean, that's such yeah. a loaded question. There's so much, yeah. you know, and, and I know every business is different, but like, you know, even with Amazon, like we just got on Amazon, right. we were on there before, but it was a shit show. So we, mm-hmm. you know, we took a break and we got an agency to help us like manage it. But you know, you have to advertise. Like there's people yep. who are yep. using the name paying. Trade Street Jamco, paying for that yeah. and winning winning the buy box, like winning the advertising using our yep. name. So like yep. we have to pay to play. Like we have mm-hmm. like a $100,000 opportunity on Amazon. Like the mm-hmm. category is great for us there, but we have to pay to play. Like, you know what right. I'm saying? And if I don't, mm-hmm. how am I getting the money if I'm not if I'm not selling the product yeah. and, and then also, um, you know, marketing is a big piece. Like we need to cast a wider net. Like we have this mm-hmm. great, we, we can tell people love us and, and want us, but we need to reach more people so that they can love right. us and want us. And you can't yep. do that organically. Like we did that organically for years, like doing mark, like the markets I told you about and getting mm-hmm. all this organic press and we we're it's in New York to times. Scale yeah. yeah. But you can't scale that. Like that got us to that 600 K. And then like, now what's next though? You can't do that again to get to like 2 million, you know? Right. Um, yep. <clears throat> so, so we got to like, we, we pay for marketing not for advertising. I mean, um, and like meta ads and, and Google ads, but we, we pay a tiny amount. You know what I mean? Right. Some of these other companies are paying 20 grand a month in their ad spend mm-hmm. and they're seeing results, right? Who yeah. I don't have that. I don't have that. Yeah. So, you know, that's another one there. Also hiring, like, mm-hmm. hello, how do you not lose your mind being yeah. an entrepreneur, like a CEO, <laughs> a founder? Hello, like yeah. I, you know, you need to hire. Like it took me years to get a team around me and, the, and it's great and that's great, but I need more. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think between like, part-time and contractors, I maybe have like six or eight staff members, but like I need like next, I need an, basically an e-commerce salesperson. I need to hire someone who is managing our e-commerce accounts and going out and getting us new accounts. And the days are over when I can sit here for hours and cold email places to try to get our product in there. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, it's not efficient. Also, like these people will have networks and they can kind of reach out to buyers and stuff. So, so I need funding for all of those things in order to grow. Otherwise we will still grow, but it will be right. at a snail's pace. And yeah, I don't have, I don't have that time because I know I don't have the capacity to do this forever. Yep. No, I think you summed it up really, really beautifully. You know, it takes, you know, I was doing research because I was trying to really understand the difference between like, why are there so many small businesses that are, you know, female run and minority run. And there's just, and by the way, 
you know, women between 40 and 60, I think make 85% of the household decisions, like purchasing decisions in this country. So I was just trying to, you know, aside from just like, it's a, it's a abysmal number. And obviously there's like a gender and a racial component to all of it. And it's just pathetic. What, like, what's going on? Why are there small businesses that are thriving, but like for some reason venture businesses aren't and what's the difference kind of between those two things. And it's, you know, I, I mean, the reality is, is that businesses like ours where we are making goods that are requiring, like you said, trucks and ships and glass and fruit and sunshine and labor, you know, on top of the fact that you are competing on, you know, platforms where, you know, people are spending, I mean, a million dollars a day on literally on these ads, like maybe not in our categories, but you know, it's like, how do you get, how do you even get into the same atmosphere as, as those companies without this war chest of cash behind you? And I think, you know, I think there's going to be some shakeout this year, right? Like, I think, you know, I interviewed my, one of my accountants who's coming, his, oh yes, he'll be he'll be the, his episode will be published right before yours. So I guess it's last episode with Greg Wank, who basically said like, there are these companies, they're making, you know, 20 million, 30 million, even $50 million in sales. But if they are not profitable at this point, they're not going to make it. You know, we're still sort of under that, that threshold where we can try to correct those mistakes before we start to make them. But it doesn't mean that it's going to happen quickly. And it doesn't mean that we don't need capital to get up and running to a point where we can then, you know, kind of start cruising, you know, you still, there's a, there's a, there's a gap um, and you need to be able to fill the gap. So, you know, what would you tell, what would you tell yourself or, other founders that are a couple of years behind you on the journey, you know, how would you advise them? <laughs> if you were running the uh, mentor group, what would, what would your mentorship look like? Um, I mean, a lot of it would be more like kind of what we talked about, like making sure that this is something you're passionate about. Um, a lot of it would be about not subsi- subscribing to grind culture and mm. really just, it sounds crazy, spend time resting and taking care of yourself. Like you can't pour from an empty cup. I have tried. And yep. so just like pouring into yourself um, when you are healthy. And I mean that word, you know, so broadly when you are healthy, like you can help build a healthy business. Um, but when you aren't, because you're trying to build that business, like it's just not going to come from a good place. It's not going to end well. So it would be a lot of like things like that. Um, and, and just like, you know, spend time talking to people. I think that's another one too. Like talking to people like, you know, you talking to business owners, smaller businesses and bigger businesses. I've Mm -hmm. learned so much just from one hour conversations, like venting about things, asking Mm -hmm. questions, Um, I've gotten so many more resources that way than like networking events or, you know, those are, can be very surface level. 
So I think like the more time you spend and, and it can be hard, right? Cause it can be scary as a founder. I'm also um, an introvert and I don't want to talk to people ever. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you have to like, you don't look like an introvert. That's oh, funny. I, I know. I say it all the time. Like, I'm an, I'm an yeah. extroverted introvert. I, I'm an extrovert yeah. introvert. I, I, I think I'm an introverted extrovert. I don't know. Yeah. I'm an ambivert, I think is the yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I, on the outside, like, look, I'm fun to be around. I'm going to be like, I can be the life of a party or of a conversation. Like, I'm chatty. Then I can be over tired. that, but I get, br- yeah, I, I get yeah. like at the end of that, I need to recharge my battery. I just want to go home and be on the couch. Like, don't talk to me. I'm in the corner watching a movie. So I, or like, jamming. I don't, or jamming. Yeah. Or cooking any of that, like just being a creator. Right. Um, and, but like, I, you got to get out of that and just kind of reach out and talk to people. And I've talked to so many people who have just been so helpful. Even this person comes to mind, Denise from Partake Kitchen. Or yeah. not Partake Kitchen. I'm saying Partake Kitchen because yeah. I'm looking at Haven's Kitchen, no. but um, of Partake Cookies. She's a very good friend she's of mine. So, yeah. yeah, is she? She's great. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. we've met through so many different, um, you know, events and and things, press that we've been featured in, like whatever. But I mean, I can email her a question and she'll respond right away and yeah. point me in the right direction. And we need more freaking women who are like mm-hmm. doing that, who are like, Hey, let's mm-hmm. get on a call. Like, I know I'm busy, but like, I'll give you 30 minutes and I'll tell you where I sourced yeah. these bags from, like whatever. I think yeah. like doing that is really important. So I would definitely tell people to just reach out and ask the questions and get the information that way versus wasting hours of trying to like scour the internet when other people have already done that research and they have the resources and they're willing yeah. to share. So, you know, spend yeah. time trying to get that. No, really good advice. And, um, I just want to thank you so much for your candor and, you know, talking through this all. And I'm, I asked for your deck. I'm going to send it to everyone I know and try to get this thing, (laughs) some, uh, some action. Um, you know, it's just, it's a weird, it's weird out there, uh, right now and great before and, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, but it sounds like, you know, you're building something bigger, even though it's, you know, small batch, um, and it's beautiful. So thank you for coming on the show, Ashley. Liam, thank you. Uh, um, Liam, thank you for engineering. As always, I ended in time for you. Yahoo! Um, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but for some reason it is. So anyway, thank you. And, um, everyone listening, I, uh, I just, I'm here and I'm with you and thanks for the DMS and, um, let's all just take care of each other and bring positivity to the industry because we need it. And I'll be back next week with another episode of in the sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.